0: From KQED.
1: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. The U.S. Postal Service began slowing down delivery of some letters and packages this month, among other cost saving maneuvers, while also preparing to raise prices. Economists say the changes will only turn more customers away and make the agency's long-standing financial woes even worse, and some 20 attorneys general have sued to block the implementation of the budget-cutting plan. We'll talk about what's causing the problems plaguing the Postal Service and how its operational changes may affect you. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Has the mail seemed a bit slower than usual lately? Well, you're probably not imagining it since the U.S. Postal Service did begin slowing down some deliveries as of October 1st. At the same time, it's raising mail prices. For more on these changes, their impact and what's driving them, we turn first to Jacob Bogage, business and technology reporter for The Washington Post. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So about two weeks ago, the USPS instituted some major operational changes, cutting costs, trying to cut costs and raise revenue. And one of those changes is that they uh, implemented, quote, lengthened service standards. So in other words, our mail is arriving more slowly than it used to. Can you tell us what we're talking about here? How slow is slow? Yeah, so
2: what we used to be able to expect is mail delivery in between one to three days. That's called the service standard. No matter where you live in the country, no matter uh, what you're setting, as long as it has a first-class stamp on it, one to three days. What we're seeing now is uh, two to five days, and that's gonna vary based on where you live. If you live further away from uh, the destination of your mail, uh, your mail is going to take longer to arrive. That has a big impact when we talk about things like bills or medications, which are often sent from centralized locations, or when you're just trying to like communicate with family uh, that might live out of state. Uh, that's where it's going to have the biggest impact. And the reason for that is because we're changing the way your mail is going to get moved across the country instead of putting more of your mail on an airplane and flying it across the country so it moves more quickly. It's going to ride on a truck wherever, pretty much wherever it needs to go, unless it needs to go offshore. That's the big change we're seeing.
1: And when you say it depends on where you live, so California will be one of the harder hit states? Yeah,
2: we were able to analyze this for everyone's zip code on the mainland United States. I'm sorry, Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and other offshore territories. They were not included in the data set Mm. the postal service turned in to analyze the impact and what we found is states west of the rockies are going to be the hardest hit by this um that is because of the way mail is transported in the distribution of um processing facilities in the western united states they're more spread out so it takes longer to get things to get from where they need to go so if you think about California, L.A. to San Francisco, or even further up north on the coast, Seattle to Portland, uh, there was a shorter service standard between the cities. Now there is a longer standard, purely because of the way the mail is being transported and the mileage cutoffs. required.
1: And so is this all mail or certain types of mail?
2: This is mail for which the Postal Service has a monopoly. So for example, if I put a stamp on an envelope, FedEx or UPS can't deliver that for me, only the US Postal Service can. Uh, So that is everything from first class mail to advertisements, you know, for the local pizza shop or Bed Bath and Beyond that I get constantly, um, or um, periodicals, so a newspaper mailed to you, or a magazine or a catalog. Uh, It's also in effect for uh, small packages, what they call first class uh, package service which are for things like small electronics. Say you bought a phone or headphones or for prescriptions or also shipped.
1: Out. So these changes, they're part of Postmaster General Louis DeJoy's 10-year budget cutting plan, as I understand it, which includes other elements too, like a temporary holiday surcharge. Can you tell us about this surcharge?
2: Yeah, this is something the Postal Service uh, does relatively routinely uh, be- over the holidays because the holidays are the busiest part of the year. Right now. Everyone wants to buy stuff online or send presents to family out of state or even cards. Um, and so the Postal Service wants to try to make a little more money off that because they need the money. And so we're seeing temporary holiday surcharges on everything from priority mail to uh, package services. The price of a stamp has already gone up. It was 55 cents. Now it's 58 cents, but that's not changing over the holidays. So basically, if you're thinking about sending anything in a box over the holidays, the postage price on that is going to go up for the season.
1: And is it going up a little bit more than it has in years past?
2: Yeah, a little bit more than it has in years past. And I don't have the the numbers directly in front of me offhand. There's a nice, robust list. We published this list and kind of what it means for each product. And the Postal Service has their own kind of menu of options as well. But it's about 5% across the board. So for someone like me and you, maybe that's not going to be an impact. But uh, if we're buying lots and lots of things, we have lots of nieces and nephews, for example, uh, and we're fortunate enough to be able to get them presents, we're definitely going to feel it.
1: And there's questions about whether or not some of these price hikes could be extended uh, beyond the holiday period. And even as I understand it, Uh, an increase in the frequency that uh, postage rates could change. Could you tell us a little bit more about those
3: changes?
2: Absolutely. So, yes, some of these price hikes are going to be extended. In fact, these holiday price hikes are in addition to across-the-board price increases the Postal Service has already made. So we already made some in August. We're going to raise them again uh, for the holidays, and they're going to go back to normal after the holiday season ends, so around the middle of January. But then going on 2022 and forward, we'll see semi-annual, twice annually, postage price increases uh, because of new authorization the Postal Service has to do that. Uh, Remember, the Postal Service, for most of the mail it delivers, is a monopoly. That means nobody else can deliver your mail, only the U.S. Postal Service, which is an arm of the government. Uh, And because it can do that, because it has that monopoly, its rates are capped. So it doesn't uh, uh, gouge uh, customers or overcharge customers. The regulations on those caps were significantly, significantly relaxed uh, recently. And that's why we're going to see these twice annual price increases going
1: hmm. forward. We're talking with Jacob Bogage, business and technology reporter for The Washington Post, about some of the recent changes that were just implemented Um at the Postal Service, that may be what's behind if you're sensing your mails a little later uh, or things are a little bit more expensive to mail. And if you have any quick questions, uh, Jacob is with us for another six minutes or so, Eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. the number. Post them on Twitter or Facebook or email us, forum at kqed.org. Just give us the biggest reason that's driving these changes, Jacob.
2: We're sending less mail as a country, and that means the Postal Service needs more money. The Postal Service generally does not get taxpayer funds uh, to fund itself unless it's an emergency. Um, and that's because for the longest time, it hasn't needed to. Uh, you know, Before there was an internet, uh, before we could email and send text messages, we put stuff in the mail a lot. And uh, that meant business was really good for the Postal Service. As the internet has matured, business has significantly slowed down. When we send less mail, the Postal Service makes less money. And that, along with some uh, funky accounting maneuvers the Postal Service has in its obligation means it's running out of cash, uh, which is you know, $2 billion every other week is their payroll. So they need to have a lot of cash on hand and to move it around pretty regularly. Uh, they're not getting enough business to support themselves. And so that's why you're seeing not only these price increases, but kind of anywhere they can, uh, cutting back uh, or trying to experiment with new products.
1: Hmm. Well, Robert writes, What's causing the problems in the Postal Service? Republicans, of course, and their historic and in increasing opposition to any operation for the public good. The Postal Service is only one more radical socialist program to them. This listener tweets, When are they going to get rid of DeJoy? I thought they got new board members and they could vote him off now. Jacob?
2: That is a great question. When we talk about DeJoy, of course, we're talking about Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, uh, who took office in June of 2020. Uh, He's a former supply chain uh, logistics executive, and he was a major donor to President Trump's uh, presidential campaigns. Um, He's gotten a lot of criticism because of the way the Postal Service handled itself in the run-up to the election, uh, and then the disastrous holiday season and shipping delays. Uh, that we saw out of the Postal Service last year. Uh, He can only be removed by the Postal Services Board of Governors, which are appointed by the President and then confirmed by the Senate. Democrats and Biden appointees do have a majority on that board, but two of the Democrats appointed by President Trump continue to back Louis DeJoy. That would be Lee Moak and Ron Bloom. Uh, Ron Bloom's term fires in December, President Biden can nominate a replacement for him if he so chooses. Uh, and that would be the biggest movement, uh, if the president so chooses, toward chipping away at Louis DeJoy's hold on the postal service.
1: Are there any other members stepping away besides that one?
2: There is one more. There's a Republican named uh, John Barger, who of course, also was nominated uh, by President Trump. Uh, the Board of Governors is interesting. It's nine members. Uh, it can it cannot have more than five members of one political party. So generally, when you see one Democrat leave and one Republican leave, folks from the same party of the, of the departing board members are nominated as well. Um, it will be very interesting to see what the president chooses to do, because uh, there is one independent on the board right now. Uh, so things can get a little bit more politically tense, Um in an already politically tense Senate.
1: Jacob, I know you need to leave us, and I know that you've been covering the shooting at a USPS facility in Memphis that killed two postal workers yesterday, and the shooter also died as well. Could you just update us on the latest here?
2: Yeah, uh, it's it's tragic. You know, I was actually in Memphis at the end of September uh, covering another shooting at a grocery store in a suburb just outside the city. So... This is a community that really can't get a break. It seems um, the uh, the shooting yesterday. This was a non-career carrier, uh, letter carrier, who went back to his car, retrieved a firearm, and went back into the facility, which uh, is not really where customers would hang out. This is a kind of a closed facility. Shot a supervisor and a plant manager, and then uh, before killing himself. Um, It's that that's what we have at this point. It's it's tragic. And uh, the Postal Service actually has its own law enforcement arm, the Postal Inspection Service, which is one of the oldest law enforcement arms in the history of the country. And uh, they'll be investigating this and providing uh, mental health resources to folks uh, who work in that facility.
1: Well, thanks for covering it, Jacob. And sorry you have to. But also thanks for for also updating us on the latest with the Postal Service Jacob O'Gage, business and technology reporter for The Washington Post. Stay with us. We'll be talking about the problems plaguing the Postal Service and possible solutions. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking this hour at big operational changes at the U.S. Postal Service and what might be driving them and what might it mean for Postal Service in the future. We invite you, our listeners, to share with us if you have noticed delays or other service problems with your mail. How do you use the mail? Has that changed a lot over time? Do you rely more on other services besides USPS? And what are your thoughts or questions about the future of the Postal Service? Do you have concerns? 866-733-6786 is the number. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also post your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us forum at kqed.org. And I'd like to bring into the conversation now Christopher Shaw, an author, historian, a policy analyst shaw's new book is first class the u.s postal service democracy and the corporate threat he previously published preserving the people's post office Uh, christopher shaw thanks so much for joining us
4: thanks for having me glad to be with you
1: so just to step back a little bit can you just talk about the postal service as an entity exactly i think um it's not entirely clear how it functions as both a business and as a government entity
4: Well, it's supposed to break even and be self-funding based on postage uh, sales, but then at the same time, it's also a public service and it's supposed to provide universal service to serve all Americans, uh, to serve them in a uniform manner. So it's a democratic public service, but over the past few decades, it's been able to fund itself through postage without getting uh, government appropriations from the U.S. Treasury. So it's a very different hybrid kind of model from what we're used to in our society and economy here in the United States.
1: You have talked about the significance of the post office's role in our democracy, in a functioning democracy. Why do you say that and how does it do that?
4: It does it in a couple ways. One way we saw that is very important is uh, in our elections and we saw that in 2020. And we have to wonder if we did not have this infrastructure in place that can reach every address in America on a daily basis, How would the election have unfolded? Um, The Postal Service was there and was able to get all those ballots in and make sure they were counted and the election went forward. So this vote by mail function, it goes back to the Civil War when the uh, Union uh, soldiers and sailors were first able to vote by mail and it is now becoming more important in our elections than it ever has been before. But there's also the Postal Service's role as a symbol of democracy. The fact that it serves all Americans equally, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what your income is, none of these differences that divide us in a very diverse society matter to the U.S. Postal Service. We're all served equally, it is a democratic public service. So the Postal Service is an example of democracy that we see in our lives every day.
1: Talk a little bit more about that equity piece of this, the communities that tend to rely more on the Postal Service and also as a source of good, solid jobs.
4: Yes, both of those are are important. The groups who are most dependent on the Postal Service tend to be people who are older, who do not necessarily have computers or even know how to use a computer or the Internet. People who are lower income, who cannot necessarily afford access to Internet or uh, even have a computer or even a smartphone, tend to be more dependent on the Postal System. Another group is uh, people with disabilities tend to be more dependent on it. And then people in rural areas. Uh, there's lots of rural areas where broadband internet is not even available if you can't afford it. So these groups of people are more dependent on the postal service than, than others. And then as a source of jobs, um, the postal service has been an important conduit to help people to get to the middle class for, for decades. Uh, these are steady jobs, they uh, pay a middle-class living standard, they have the kinds of benefits that used to be considered uh, American, like the traditional kinds of benefits in terms of health care and retirement that people expected if they worked a full-time job, and it's a very large employer, the third largest civilian employer with around half a million uh, career employees at the moment. So it's long been a source of middle-class jobs in this country and, and remains an important one today.
1: Hmm well merrily writes the post office was one of the most efficient and best-run agencies of the u.s government it was also the best loved agency of the federal government this recent change to slow the mail is shameful the retirement bucket needs to be brought in line adding a banking service would also help dejoy came in with the intent of destroying the usps he's destroyed dozens of perfectly good sorting machines i refuse to use ups or fedex and give all my mailing needs to usps Christopher Shaw, I'd love to get your assessment of DeJoy as we're hearing how our listeners feel about the Postmaster General's leadership. We know that he has been criticized for having no experience with the service, uh, that he was a major fundraiser to the Trump campaign, but also that he's been quite clear that he wants to treat the Postal Service more like a business than a government agency. So what do you think of his 10-year plan, given the fact that, as we heard earlier from Washington Post reporter Jacob Bogage, the Postal Service is really facing some significant budget issues as a result of the fact that people are using it less.
4: I think that, unfortunately, the approach he's taking is uh, short-sighted. It's a short-term one, and because when you start slowing down the mail, then you're going to reduce patronage. So it may save some money in the short run, but in the longer run, you're making it a less valuable service to the American people and you're making it less likely for them to use it. That's the problem with service cuts. So I think that that is a is, is not a, really the kind of innovative way that uh, we should be thinking about going in, in the future. Um, at the same time, the is behind a uh, he's backed he's the first postmaster general to back. Uh, the Postal Service getting back into financial um, services again. So there's 8 million unbanked households in this country, and the Post Office used to operate a savings bank. For a majority of the 20th century, it operated a savings bank. And the Postal Service is exploring this again through a pilot program. It's just in four post offices right now, but it allows uh, people to go in and cash either a payroll check or, or a business check. And so this is the kind of creative things that I think the Postal Service should be looking at doing, which in this case, in terms of banking, it's done it before, um, as opposed to this short-term uh, approach to just cutting costs and degrading the service, which I think undermines the the agency and drives away uh, people from using it.
1: Well, there are certainly... A lot of state attorneys general who are not happy about DeJoy's 10-year plan. I think there are some 20, including California's Attorney General Rob Bonta, who are suing the Postal Regulatory Commission to block the plan or at least kind of scrap it, I understand. Can you just explain what they are arguing here?
4: They're arguing that the uh, Postal Service um, did not, when it made these changes, it has to seek an advisory opinion from its regulatory body, the Postal Regulatory Commission, and that it didn't present its complete plan. So it went to them and said, okay, we're going to slow down the mail delivery on first-class mail, for instance, but the bigger plan has to do with changing the entire way that mail is sorted and transported. So you're going to be closing processing plants. You're also going to be Uh, shutting down or cutting hours in post offices. And so this broader uh, plan that he has presented to reduce service was not uh, put up. And the thing is this is gonna have negative impacts nationwide. They point out that this will especially uh, harm elderly people, people in rural America and low-income people. So this is the reason why they're um, filing this complaint and um, because they just don't think that the Postal Service is taking into account the full impact that it will have on the society.
1: Do you see this lawsuit being successful?
4: I think that they have a definite case because there is a broader plan that has been outlined here that does go beyond just the uh, postage, uh, you know, the changes, in the, the, the postage increase that is happening or, or the way that uh, mail delivery is being slowed down. So there is a broader... Change of foot here, and a lot of interests and a lot of groups have uh, care about this and, and have a stake in it. And so I think it does make sense that it would be uh, examined again.
1: Well, let me go to some calls, Frank, in San Francisco. Hi, Frank. What would you like to say?
5: Hey. Uh, the previous guest spoke uh, kind of disparagingly about uh, counting clerks, I think, as the post office. Uh, but what it is, the uh, UPS was required to fully fund the retirement system 75 years into the future by, uh, I think, 2006 Congress signed by Bush. And this is a requirement that no corporate entity in the world probably is Mm. is done. And it's specifically made to to drive them bankrupt. Uh, He also, I I, I mean, I also heard that Louis DeJoy's wife is heavily invested in uh, one of the private companies that competes with USPS. And one last point. Uh, we heard speak of USPS having a monopoly. Now, if the post office didn't have a monopoly on delivering the mail, private companies would compete only for delivering mail within cities where it's highly profitable, and you, you would probably pay $10 or, or $100 to get a mail delivered to your bucks in, in uh, Podunk, Idaho. So that's, uh, yeah, it's basically Louis DeJoy is a traitor, tried to fix the election for Trump and should be impeached.
0: Thank you.
1: Well, well, Frank, you brought up a lot of things there. Christopher Shaw, why don't you take a couple of them? One is Frank is talking about pension issues. If you can just briefly explain what that is. And then also just I think he's raising broader concerns about whether, if the mail is privatized, what kind of impact it could have.
4: Right. So when you look at the USPS's uh, financial issues, the, the real thing that gets raised is not the the pensions, because with the, with the pensions, um, the Postal Service has approaching $300 billion in retirement funds, over 80% of its future pension liabilities are funded. And this makes it, in, in terms of accounting principle, to places it in the, in the green zone uh, in, the, in the way that private business uh, examines these things. pension funding is in line with other federal agencies, also private businesses in the mailing and delivery industry like UPS and and Pitney Bowes. The issue is around specifically the retiree health benefits and this had to do with the fact that the Postal Service made an overpayment for these into the uh, federal budget and returning this overpayment would increase the federal budget deficit. So the funds are put in an escrow account and then this accelerated prepayment plan was come up with. Um, The standard for everyone else is kind of pay-as-you-go, maybe 10 to 15 years in the future. Mm-hmm. But the 2006 law said that the Postal Service had to pre-fund retiree health care costs over 50 years in the future at 4 to $5 billions per year. And so there's around maybe $40 billion in retiree health benefit fund right now. It's funded around 30 years in the future. Uh, but this pre-funding burden is one that the Postal Service has not been making in recent years, uh, even though it has funded a lot of it. It hasn't funded this full... Um, you know, years and decades and decades into the future. And so it goes on the the ledger, but it's a paper loss. It's not about the operating income. Um, So it looks like a deep financial crisis, but in terms of cash flow, the postal service has actually been doing a lot better in uh, recent years. And in fact, uh, a task force that the Trump uh, administration did which was, you know, a a critic of the postal service found that if you were to take away this pre-funding requirement, um, you have up to $1 billion in net revenue or operating profit each year for the, for the Postal Service. Um, wow. So close to 90% of Postal Service losses come from this pre-funding of the Retiree Health Benefits uh, Fund. And so when people talk about the financial crisis, that's really what they're, what they're talking about. And again, it's a unique burden on, on the Postal Service. Um, so the caller is, is very much uh, correct to, to point out that that is a very salient issue when we have these discussions.
1: We're talking with Christopher Shaw, author, historian, and policy analyst. His new book is First Class, the U.S. Postal Service, Democracy, and the Corporate Threat. And I'd like to bring Jesus Salas into the conversation now, Associate Professor of Finance at Lehigh University College of Business. Professor Salas, thanks so much for joining us.
6: Oh, it's great great to be here.
1: I think this is a great time for you to join the conversation because... We just got that call from Frank and Christopher explaining the pension liabilities of the Postal Service, but that at the same time, if you took that away, it's actually in decent financial shape. You know, one of the things that we've been hearing is potentially that the post office is in a death spiral. That was one of the things that a a person with Save the Post Office told NPR, that people will use the Postal Service less, revenue will decline, and so on, and essentially the post office could be no more. But... Is it more viable than we think? Like, how bad is its budget situation?
6: So uh, let me first, you know, say that, you know, I, I, I will say some bad things about the USPS, but I, I think the USPS is a great institution. I agree with Christopher and, you know, I think the USPS has done a lot of great things for us, you know, but I, but I will say, like, we all know that the USPS has had some troubles because people are delivering mail, less mail. We know that, you know. And, you know, the big question about the pension funds you know, is is the big one that's, you know, driving all this, you know, question about what to do about this. Um, I'll say, you know, I don't think the USPS is about to go bankrupt, you know, per se. You know, there's no, uh, you know, it's no imminent threat that the USPS is going to stop paying their debt. And so, therefore, it cannot declare bankruptcy. On the other hand, you know, the question about, you know, this pension system, you know, being in a big hole, you know, I think it's a very serious uh, situation because, like, you know, we're talking about you know, primarily uh, a defined benefit plan. Right. So most corporations in the U.S., most businesses in the U.S. don't really have a defined benefit plan. Right. And, and the reason for that is that because, again, changes in society have made it very difficult for a, a population to continue paying benefits uh, for people who've retired. Uh, because they're living longer, right? And so we have a problem. We have a problem with Social Security. We know that. We know that defined benefit plans, you know, aren't sustainable. Um, And so this is where we are today, right, with a big hole uh, in a defined benefit plan. Corporations like UPS, you know, have said, we're going to stop doing a defined benefit plan. Uh, The the idea of refunding only makes sense for defined benefit plans. That's why, you know, we don't really have other corporations having to pre-fund, uh, pension funds right so you know that that's really the the key to this issue and what we're talking about is saying look we're not going to we're not going to save for for the people uh, who are working right now we're not going to save for their retirement and to me that's a very dangerous you know, um you know proposition i just don't think it's a good idea to say that um we're going to stop um you know staving up for the people who are working now we're going to say we don't you know we're not going to put money down uh, for your future retirement, we're going to stop doing that. That, I think, is a very, very very bad idea.
1: But what would it require? Noel tweets, when is Congress going to get rid of the unsustainable pension rules? And another listener writes, Jonathan, the USPS should be funded by Congress. Isn't the USPS and the U.S. Constitution get rid of joy. The delays in mailing will cost low-income people the most because they will pay late fees on bills. So, Jesus Salas, what would it require? And is there the political will to do no. whatever it requires?
6: <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I, I don't really think that this should be a politics game. I, I don't really think it's about pointing fingers at individual people. Honestly, the problem with the USPS is not because of the joy. It's not because of Biden. It's not because of Trump. The problem is the USPS goes, you know, b- goes back to the Internet. Right. So let, let's start with that. And I think that, you know, my 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 proposal is for the USPS to do what you know most of the corporations in the US have been doing for the last you know 30 years I guess which is to um, get rid of the defined benefit plan. so for anybody who comes into uh, the USPS uh, now uh, starts uh, retirement uh, funding their retirement that's if it was a um, an account right so you you put money into your retirement fund and when you retire you know you you use money from that uh, fund right? And then for the people who have been contributing to the defined benefit plan, there is a liability right now. And I think the U.S. government needs to pay up that liability. I think the, the people of the United States should uh, pay money in order for uh, the people who have worked for the USPS. Uh, it's important for us to, to say that, look, we care about you and we are going to fund your retirement benefits. I don't agree that we should stop Funding their retirement benefits. I just think it's a bad idea, but I do think that the government should step in and help out because I think we promised them uh, that they were going to have a good retirement and, you know, that we should deliver that.
1: We're talking with Jesus Sallis associate professor of finance at Lehigh University College of Business, and Christopher Shaw, an author, historian, and policy analyst, whose new book is First Class, The U.S. Postal Service, Democracy, and the Corporate Threat. Have you noticed delays or other service problems with the Postal Service? Angela writes, last month, as usual, I mailed my credit card payments five to seven days ahead of the due dates. With delayed mail delivery, I received late fees. Imagine 100 people receiving $20 late fees, and we can see how much money... People, will, people are making with this change. More after the break.
3: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
1: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about recent changes with the Postal Service and problems plaguing USPS with Christopher Shaw, an author, historian, and policy analyst, and Jesus Salas, an associate professor of finance at Lehigh University College of Business. You, our listeners, are with us. Have you noticed changes in your mail service? How do you use the mail? Has that changed over time? What thoughts or questions do you have about the future of the Postal Service? Would you be okay with not having a U.S. Postal Service, or do you think it's important to keep around because there are so many options out there? Let me go to Wayne, Caller Wayne in Hemet, California. Hi,
0: Wayne.
7: Hi, and thank you for taking my call. I'm a retired uh, mail carrier for, with 30 years of service, and uh, I retired approximately 10 years ago. Um, I, I need to address something that the, the um, your last guest um uh, uh, seemed to point out was he seems to be confusing the pension fund with the pre-funding the health benefits. They're, they're really two separate issues, uh, as was stated before by uh, your other guests. The pension fund is is well funded. The law that created the pre-funding requirement for the health benefits occurred in 2006, and as he said, it takes four to five billion dollars for the post office to pay into this fund, and and. Congress needs to fix that, and Congress won't do it yet. But that's that's the key to their problem right now. It's the health pre-funding the health benefits of retirees, and and it's the four to five billion per year is just a, a, a onerous burden. Um, but we do need a viable postal service. Uh, it, it, as was stated too, uh, uh, it helps support our democracy. And, and and it allows us uh, an avenue besides private uh, business to to uh, stay in touch and communicate and and ship our goods and and that sort of thing. And um, so I'm 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 very supportive of the postal service. I'm very proud of the work that I did during my 30 years. Uh, I would like, uh, and Mr. DeJoy, uh, one more comment is that I feel he became a political appointee of Donald Trump, and and political appointed PM postmaster generals were not supposed to happen after the postal reorganization of 1970, which created the Postal Service out of the former Post Office Department. Postal the the political appointee is, is was supposed to be. Uh, done away with, and unfortunately, it's it. Donald Trump changed that.
1: Well, Wayne, I, I thank you for calling in, and I, I'm glad you had such a good experience being um, a postal carrier. It's reminded me actually of a, a story that I read about a a carrier who noticed somebody's mail piling up and actually saved them because they'd had a stroke and no one knew about it, and decided to check in. And it is rare, Christopher Shaw, to have a role where someone is basically visiting your home every day.
4: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And this happens, I mean, literally every week, there's stories where a postal carrier who is has their eyes open and pays attention and cares about the people on their route is uh, putting out a fire. They're uh, notifying that an elderly person has become unresponsive. They're locating a missing child. I mean, Uh, The urban theorist Jane Jacobs talked about eyes on the street, meaning a lively uh, kind of public space and along the streets where people uh, kept an eye on each other and how this made uh, life a lot better and a lot safer. And that is a role that the letter carriers uh, of this country uh, play all the time on a regular basis.
1: Well, let me go next to Linda in Duncan Hills. Hi, Linda. Hi,
8: how are you? I'm well. Thank you. Um, I really admire and value the Postal Service. Uh, I I love the commemorative stamps. I love knowing who's at the post office and developing a relationship with uh, that agency. You know, um, Benjamin Franklin developed it. I loved the commemorative stamps and used the Postal Service all the time for personal mail. And I consider each card and letter I send a a gift now, uh, since email and technology has taken over a lot of our business communications. So I just appreciate it, value it, and it uh, creates value in my life. And I just wanted to say thank you to the Postal Service.
1: Thank you. Linda, thanks for that call. I appreciate it. And uh, Angela asks, how can the average person make changes so that the Postal Service, which is a noble profession, continues and survives? Books have survived the internet. How can the Postal Service survive and how can we help it? Jesus, I was curious to get your thoughts on what are some viable models. Christopher Shaw mentioned some, but I, I'm curious what you see in terms of ways for the Postal Service to, to be able to continue to sustain itself and draw more revenue
6: yeah i actually agree with christopher that uh, you know that what the joy is doing with the reduction of service actually does make it a little worse for uh, usps because it turns out that um, fedex at least up to some point and now still ups they actually use usps uh, for last mile service so when where the USPS is able to reach all the you know corners of the world, uh, for FedEx and for UPS, it, it's just not uh, it's just not profitable enough, and so therefore they just rather pay USPS uh, to do this, right? Um, I think the idea of banking, I think, is a great idea, uh, but I, I'll say like more generally, I think um, I think we should pay for it. I mean, I, I think frankly, either whether it's subsidized by the government, because as Christopher said you know, people with lower means um, use or rely more on USPS or, um, or, or increase in prices either way, um, I think that uh, we're going to have to, to think of ways to, uh, to keep the USPS. Um, and, um, and so I do think it's important for us to think of like, you know, how we can increase the revenue um, and um, in order to be able to continue delivering to these corners of the world.
1: So are you saying that uh, if if postal rates reflected the true cost of delivering mail to all the places that the U.S. <laughs> delivers, that it actually would cost a lot more than we realize?
6: I mean, that's clear. I mean, for, even though so the, this whole idea of the pension fund was, uh, uh, was very serious, but the reality is since 2012, they haven't really contributed to the pension fund and they're still operating at a loss. So ignoring the pension fund issues... You know they're still not able to uh, to generate enough money to sustain the cost, and that's simply because, look, the, generally the cost of delivering everywhere is about the same. If you think about, you know, delivering mail every day, it's not like you can have fewer people. You still have to have the same number of people delivering everywhere. Uh, the sorting facilities, it turns out that they're very efficient. At, you know, at sorting either a million package, a, a million pieces of mail, or a hundred thousand, you know, pieces of mail. So it's not like we save money just because we're um, we're, we're having less mail. So, so because of that, because now that we have lower economies of scale, it's just more costly uh, to uh, do the business of the USPS. And so therefore, the reality is um, somehow somebody has to pay more for it.
1: Well, Randy writes, I recall from my grad school days that the Postal Service was initially highly subsidized and that this was to facilitate the free flow of ideas. Can you say anything about the distant origins of the Postal Service in this regard? Christopher Shaw?
4: Um, Well, Randy is absolutely correct. Uh, The Postal Service was founded by the Second Continental Congress in 1775. So uh, independence had not been declared yet, but the revolution was underway And from the very beginning, kind of the, really the first central mission of the postal service was to uh, make it so that the average citizen could be informed and would be therefore able to understand how the government was working and and what was happening. And so this new experiment with Republican government, this uh, very highly imperfect experiment with, with democracy, um was uh, very much rested on the ability of the the post office to get newspapers and political pamphlets and uh, all the items that would allow the American people to be informed uh, regardless of where they lived if they lived uh, you know right on the Atlantic seaboard or if they lived in the more remote regions of the uh, interior um, so this uh, purpose has always been there, and to this day the postal service has special reduced rates for delivering newspapers, for delivering magazines, uh, for delivering the mail of nonprofit organizations. And all this is part of the social mission of the Postal Service and the idea that it is supposed to help uphold the common good.
1: Well, Bonnie tweets, as a recent hire at USPS, I tell you, it's an unsustainable path. I was hired into a sub-part-time job I work six days a week, over eight hours a day. The job I work is not the job I was hired for and oriented to. According to one trainer, only 43% of new hires stay past one year due to Amazon packages. Christopher Shaw, just this is an interesting other side of this, right? It doesn't sound like demand has necessarily gone down. So what is Bonnie talking about here?
4: Yeah, I think one important thing to keep in mind about the the internet is that it it does take away in terms of our use of first-class letters, but then it's increasing greatly the amount of packages that are being delivered. So it, it goes in both directions. And the fact is that the Postal Service has been greatly reducing its staffing ever since the 2008 financial crisis. And this means that workers today are very, you know, they have a lot of work to do. And in a lot of cases, they are really um, overworked. I, I, I think this is a, this is a problem. The postal service is moving to add some new additional hires, but it is a, it is a real problem, especially with these, uh, new hires who go into, um, non-career positions, at least initially, um, that they are being asked to work uh, lots of overtime. Um, and they have a, you know, it, it, it is a, it is a real problem.
1: Well, let me go to caller Susan in San Francisco. Hi, Susan, go ahead.
8: Hi, thank you so much for this program. We've been trying everything possible, writing letters to get rid of Louis DeJoy. You know, the post office is historically the most beloved of government kinds of, of, of services. Um, our, our local post office is a mirror of diversity in our neighborhood. They are incredibly helpful, they work incredibly hard, and we love, respect, and, and admire them. You know, privatization is a really slippery slope, and for the millions of us, like us, we spend half the week working on our farm. It's in a very remote area of Mendocino. Um, without the in-person local assistance with things like certified mail, registered mail, getting our medicines, um, we're just gonna be thrown, you know, into, into the shark pit of privatization. And, um, you know, there are some things in the world <laughs> I think the pandemic has taught us this, that are a little more important than maximizing, maximizing profits you know, at every single turn. Um, if we can spend the millions we, we've just um, allocated to the military, we can protect this vital, vital institution. So thank you for the program, and please share with us other things we can do um, with our legislators to try and get Louis DeJoy out of there.
1: Thank you. Susan, thank you. And I should remind listeners we're talking about problems plaguing the Postal Service and possible solutions with Christopher Shaw, an author, historian, and policy analyst, and Jesus Salas, an associate professor of finance at Lehigh University College of Business. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Uh, Christopher Shaw, Susan, reminds me that we didn't really quite get to answer Angela's question about what people can do if they want to help. I'm kind of remembering that not that long ago when there were... Concerns about the post office sustainability that people started buying stamps and droves, but I imagine that there are other also possible avenues before us.
4: That's right. Yeah. I mean, in my years working on this issue, there's really been an outpouring of support for the Postal Service. It's clear that it's a beloved part of the fabric of our lives. And Congress is sitting up and taking note of its situation in a way that it hasn't before And so I think really the main thing that people can do is to communicate to Congress that they want a viable postal service to be part of our shared future as Americans. And the more that is communicated to Congress, the better. And fortunately, this is an issue with bipartisan support because there are a lot of Republicans who represent rural areas who understand the importance of a postal system to uh, their constituents. So it does have support from Democrats and also from some Republicans. So that is a hopeful sign for
1: the future of our postal service. Well, Jesus, are you optimistic? Do you see the post office getting its financial house in order and able to to weather what all of these service changes are trying to weather?
6: Yeah. So, I I mean, I believe that the USPS is not going to go away anytime soon. I mean, that's for sure. Whether the woes are going to disappear, that's something that I just don't see happening, not in the near future, because again, it goes back to the question of political will, right? I mean, the reality is nobody wants to get bad news. And whenever there's significant changes that are gonna make some people upset, you know, the the political will seems to uh, lack, right? Um, So we just tend to want to just push problems under the rug and not really want to resolve the issues. We'd rather just pretend that, you know, nothing is wrong instead of solving the problems, right? But, but that being said I don't really believe that uh, things are as bad as uh, it, some people seem to uh, suggest I don't think that, that the USPS is disappearing anytime soon um, I think that the USPS is uh, is still working and they're still uh, doing what they what we want them to do uh, yes there are hiccups and yes the the workers are actually uh, suffering I actually agree with that but I don't I don't think that the USps, is on the verge of collapse.
1: Well, the listener tweets, please raise the price of junk mail. It's socially and environmentally insane for my first class stamp to subsidize advertising that I don't want. Who gave the postmaster the right to fill my mailbox with garbage? Barbara writes, I love my local post office in Forestville. I mail all my packages through the USPS and find that their rates and delivery times are better than the alternatives and having a relationship with my carrier and the office is important to me. Lisa writes, I'm a huge supporter of banking at the post office, like a savings and loan, and get rid of payday lenders. And uh, Robert writes, can you compare the U.S. Postal Service increasingly described as a business to mail delivery in other advanced countries? Christopher Shaw, I think that might be the last question to you. How do we compare?
4: I think the the Postal Service compares really quite well, and part of this is because it hasn't been privatized and the postal market has not been deregulated. And so as a result, this public service philosophy is still there, although, as we've been discussing, there are movements in another direction, more towards a business-like model. But this business-like model has been adopted in other parts of the world, and, and where that has happened... What we have seen is that uh, service has been reduced. Uh, rural areas have suffered, uh, especially in this case. Uh, post offices have been closed and prices have continued to to go up. So the international record of privatization and deregulation has not been a success so far as uh, serving uh, the people, uh, providing them with the kind of postal services that they had expected down through the years.
1: So what are you watching most closely uh, as... Uh... In the next six months to a year, in terms of how the post office changes,
4: the most important thing that could happen would be for Congress to act and get rid of that very burdensome pre-funding requirement in regarding the uh, healthcare benefits. Um, I think, given the whole COVID situation, what's happened the last couple, of, you know, in the last year and a half or so, it's very hard to know from that exactly where revenues are going because this is a very unusual situation. So, I think projecting forward from that is, is a tough one. But definitely we know that this uh, unique burden to the Postal Service and pre-funding the healthcare benefits is, uh, is a major problem. There's agreement across the board that this should be addressed. So um, I'm looking for that. And then also the other thing is what's gonna happen with the Board of Governors as uh, Jacob Bogus mm-hmm. was uh, describing at the beginning of the program, will they pivot away and choose a different leader than Louis DeJoy? Maybe one that is more interested in the public service model and takes a less uh, business-like approach.
1: Christopher Shaw, author of First Class, the U.S. Postal Service, Democracy and the Corporate Threat, Thank you. Also, Jesus Salas, Associate Professor of Finance at Lehigh University College of Business. My thanks to you as well. I leave us on this note from Susan who writes, we pick up our mail from our local post office boxes at the post office. This is a social center for our community. During COVID, it is the only time we have masked contact with our neighbors. Keep the post office alive in the USA. Well, thanks listeners for sharing your reflections, thoughts, and it sounds like a lot of love for the Postal Service. You've been listening to Forum. My thanks to Blanca Torres for this I'm Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.